On this episode of the Ninja Tune Podcast, we listen back to Rough Trade Shop's Zoom Q&A with Matt and Andy from Bicep, who are joined by special guest host Joe Muggs for an intimate conversation with an opportunity for audience questions. This live-streamed Q&A event celebrates the release of Isles, the new album from Bicep that is out now. Two years in the making, Isles expands on the artful energy of their 2017 debut, Bicep. Right. Massive round of applause wherever you are for Bicep. Nice to see them uh, here. In a the round of for Joe as well. <laughs> in your beautiful magenta studio. Um, so, I mean, you know, first question that is impossible to answer anyway in these, uh, as they constantly say, unprecedented times. How are you? Uh... Uh, on a medium day, there's good days, bad days, medium days. Now we're good, we're good, we're pretty That's good. good. It's like we're, it's the final stretch, the release, yeah. and we're just really happy to kind of actually have it out there. So yeah. it's been all kind of work for the last couple of months behind the scenes to try and get it ready. It's been actually quite a lot of work. We thought it was going to be a bit more chilled out, but um, yeah. yeah. It wasn't a year off at all <laughs> last year. Um, I mean, in many ways, we're blessed that we're so busy because obviously it's quite, it's, it's, it's it could be, a, it's a tricky time. Um, for a lot of people, especially in music, so I think um, this has come for us in a good time. We've been and the streams were a lot of work last year, which kept us very busy. It's, I mean, it's been an interesting thing that I've I've found for a lot of musicians. Um, this kind of tension between, um, you know, obviously the the fear and uncertainty, but also um, the chance to kind of stop and take stock that happened yeah, totally. during the last year. Um, which must have been interesting because this is like a pivotal time for you. You must be kind of aware of this is like a milestone, a step up yeah. in your career. Yeah, it's 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 been it's been a re- it's it's weird because we took a lot of 2019 off. We finished tour the last live tour um, in January, and we took most of 2019 off to, to write the album. And so we'd really finished the writing phase, and we're just about to start tour in March, and then we we're off again for another year. But then in many respects, again, we were we were strangely. The streams and, and, and rethinking everything for that took up quite a lot of time and having to rewrite the live show each time we did a new stream because we've got another one coming up in February that we've been working on. So it's sort of it's been strangely quite 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 full on and busy. Uh, I, I I remember speaking to you like, I mean, probably five five or six years ago now and, and being struck by how disciplined you were about your work processes. Like, I think you said you basically toured 10 months a year and took two months to just like have studio time i mean um have you always been fairly structured and 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 planned ahead in things yeah yeah, i think we've always been quite structured we always take january off to kind of work in the studio 
Um, so when we're touring, we always got we always have that time in there to kind of catch up and do edits. Just be just be creative again, not not be restricted to any kind of de- um, like deadlines or anything. But at the same time, as every single day, we kind of try and come down to the studio, even if it's we're just working on like testing on a new synth or just like um, working on artwork. You know, like um, doing emails. It's just we're always quite structured to kind of get down to the studio and do a little bit of work. I think because there's two of us. It's it's a lot harder to be sort of fluid, particular like fluid. I think the structure really makes it a lot easier for both of us to have normal lives outside of music. Because if we kind of decided one of us wants to come in late, one of us wants to come in early to the studio, or you know take a take a week off here, it, it can just you know weeks can turn into months, can turn into years. So we just try and keep a bit of a structure going. I mean, it's it's it's, it's, it's good. It means that we can actually focus when we're in the studio. We're like full hundred percent. We we're full full work mode. And then once we switch off at like five o'clock, we'll go yeah. home and we can um, not answer emails and not think about music so much. And then the next day it's a new day and start fresh. It, it means that we're always fresh ideas every day. If we're working on music yeah. or if we're in album cycle, we're constantly when we go home we think about just little ideas rather than being in the studio and really working on stuff. Yeah. given all that did you you know because you'd set aside time and you were like right it's album time now um was there a kind of any grand concept about what it was going to be where it fits what it meant what it represented about you we've worked that out better once we'd finished but we knew we set a couple of uh for us because we had been on tour for two years it was really important to have a period of experimentation again, you know? Like, we needed to go in and use the studio as musicians, not writing an album, just come in and do it, you know? And also kind of informed from being on live tour for two years. Yeah. So that, like, p- picking up the little tricks and stuff we did on the yeah. live tour and trying to implement that in the music yeah. or experiment in ways that we could implement it into the music. And, and, and but I think we, we had some framework from the very beginning that we, we wanted to kind of stick to. And that was, we kind of felt with the first album, we'd sat, it, it wasn't a club album, but it wasn't a home listening album. It was a bit caught in the middle. I think stuff like Aura was mixed for club, but then we had tracks like Air that were kind of mixed for home listening. And we didn't, we I, for us, we hadn't really played the strengths of either. And we're, we're obviously very proud of the first album, but I think from like an artistic point of view, it made it harder for some tracks to be to, to develop into dance floor tunes or think about a live show because we'd not really written them, written, like considered the live tour as well. So with this with this um, album, one of the early parts of the writing process was to really make sure, firstly, every track that we were going to finish was something that we could perform both as a live track and, and and with that idea, we also wanted to make sure it was something we could make a home listening track. So we wanted to almost approach it with this idea that each song would have two versions, or at least be developed over the course of a year 
from the album version into the live show version and with that could be completely different drums or changing the energy of the track but we wanted to really have this more fluid approach to the music and with that once we kind of decided that was our, our our goal it gave us a lot more freedom to maybe be explore the album with not having to try and cover the club aspect with the with the with the home listening version do you know what i mean and i think that from the beginning gave us a lot of freedom and instantly kind of allowed us to experiment with like sonics and playing with reverbs a lot more and thinking about the kind of overall mixes yeah i think totally like, differently with, you know with the live show you gotta definitely mix it for like a, a live audience in the club environment and it's a very different mix to how you'd want to hear it in your headphones if you want it loud if you want it punchy and they're not like things we took into consideration when we started writing the first album but we find we struggled to kind of get all the tracks to balance with each other and we spent a lot of, lot of time just learning how to mix and because we were pretty much doing everything ourselves and you just it's it's like a, a long learning process and even during this album even to the last day before we sent in the final mixes for Master and we're learning little things little tricks to kind of get them to balance and sound better and you're, you can constantly tweak for hours and hours but um, having at least some sort of restrictions and thinking about yeah. not not ha- this doesn't have to be the final club version it made it a lot easier to kind of finish off you stop and think about uh, where you come from when you were kind of getting that balance between club and live show and home listening um, did you did you ever kind of get moments of vertigo of like wow we've come this far because like you guys are big yeah, we, like we, we kind of keep like like I said we keep the routine we've still got our friends from home and we just it, we're quite grounded in that sense that we just keep it, it like we've got like a small network so we never really out, like look in we never think of it in that respect yeah I mean, when, when you think about the size of shows you do you know when, when you're suddenly facing dot number of tens of thousands of people you know do you get this kind of like oh okay this is well we try are. not to look up from the yeah trying to tweet out that's why we're spacing each other and play live <laughs> no the um i think well, i mean for sure it got to the stage where we definitely realized that it was going to be very hard to to to, to make music that would work at home and for those sort of shows that was that that and 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 stuff that was going to artistically represent what we want to do in our heads with and, and that was definitely that was part of the problem we can, not yeah, a problem we, but we, we def- almost had to redesign the first album to work for the bigger crowds yeah like there's, there's even like it wasn't in, enough yeah even the tunes that were caught in between halfway like even aura which would say were one of the biggest tunes in the first album we still had to even beef that up a little bit more for the live show so it was that was informing the decisions that we um, did for the second album but like Matt said earlier it's like we didn't have that restriction in a sense that the album version was always going to be slightly different than the one we we're going to play out or what that was envisioned for the club so it gave us freedom and it means that we can keep building on the 
the idea for the bigger shows and make make the track bigger if we need to. I mean, what's it been like this last year? I mean, obviously you you, you had the streams and so you had you know um, nuts and bolts stuff to occupy your minds. But what's it been like having this album ready and the world change around it and just kind of thinking, uh, you know, about the reception and what that might be. There was a there was a for sure a sense of freefall from March to the summer where not only was music collapsing in, in a sense of immediately around us in terms of what we planned for that year but also with the, the industry as well and obviously then with the greater obviously more importantly with COVID itself across the world there was that sort of like sense of terror and dread that, that, that kind of did dominate the first you know half of the year and then we got to the summer and I think we kind of readjusted our expectations quite significantly to the point where we knew we wouldn't be doing anything to at least summer 2021 I think at that stage when you kind of have fully accepted right this is actually huge this has taken over everything that we've thought about for the last couple of years there was obviously a, a sense of being able to reevaluate and move forward with kind of thinking about the streams and stuff um i mean it's been very tough but yeah, it's, it's but I, I think we've we've really wanted to use it the time wisely you know like there's been very uh it's been yeah it's been tough but it's been i suppose at the same time we always complained about not getting a chance to maybe refine stuff that like when we first when we finished the first album we we're pretty much on tour straight away and it was you really were stitching together the live show on on tuesday mornings and then leaving on wednesday and it was constantly you know there was times that we were up on stage in sound check adjusting files and, and changing midi clips and and, and 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 really it was very like it was it was good to work under that pressure but it was definitely a sense of kind of really learning on the job so yeah, I think yeah. this year's been kind of good. To, last year, sorry, it was good to have a chance to really refine things a little more, test things out. We we changed quite a lot of equipment in the live show, and and, and we're able to take time and experiment a bit more. And even with this, um, the streams have been like our creative outlet, really. So we've tried to like actually pour in as much as we can because we know the the restrictions and um, how the the actual live streams and how they work. But um, we really wanted to recreate like what we do in a club to a certain degree. Um, in terms of experience and we've just been exploring every single way possible with um, um, Zach the guy who does our visuals um, and just trying to incorporate that as much as we can and make it as live as possible if that's if you know if that's that's basically what we focused all our creative energy into this year and that's taken a lot because without the crowd there and without reactions and without two years of being on the road to refine the live show it's really hard to present it as an idea, especially yeah. this, if we're talking, the whole plan was to kind of have these different versions be more clubby, but the first time we presented essentially is a live stream to the whole world. So that's been like a lot of pressure in terms of trying to get it right. Cause we're just, we, we normally just phase in one track a month possibly and try and get them working and then also refine them over the year. So yeah, it's been quite challenging in that respect. So we set ourselves like some uh, hard challenges and it's been quite good to overcome them because I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with how the second live ones went and how it's going to progress in future.
How's it been hearing your music on the radio? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I've got young kids, so we have Radio One on quite a lot, you know, doing the school runs and, and just, just hearing, hearing Bicep. And, you know, not, it's not a pop tune, but like hearing, hearing Greg James and, um, you know, the Radio One daytime DJs waxing lyrical about it, no less, you know. I mean, we're like massively humbled by that. And, and, and also, like for, for us, radio's been a kind of lifeline for us um, the past year because apart from the streams, it's been one of the main ways that we've been able to actually access people. And obviously we haven't been really fully in control of that. So the fact that we've had a lot of support from Radio 1 and Radio 6 and, and all the other radio stations has been just been amazing. Like, I mean, it, it's been a godsend. Even for Ollie, even listening, I've got way more into just getting on Radio 6, just always in the background. And I feel like with COVID and a lot of people isolating, it seems it serves as like a, another person to talk to or another voice in the room yeah. and even today I had it on Radio 6 and Marianne Hobbs had it on when I was like cooking my breakfast and I, it was just an eerie thing where the album's yeah. out this week and she puts on a tune and you just don't expect yeah. it and still I still get excited every yeah. time I hear it and like my friends texting me and stuff it's like it's a different thing than being in the club on stage performing it's like yeah. a but that's what you do the albums for, and that's why that's that's the, the gratification we get from the process. And I have to say, kudos to like um, Ninja and our management as well for the process of the writing last year. We obviously come from a club background, and we don't we didn't develop our kind of ears to think with radio really in mind. We came from ten years of sort of DJing um, into writing an album, as opposed to. Um, from another direction, so th they really did help in the ANRM process. And, and and when we were just discussing demos, you know, really that they had an ear to say, you know, making us consider not radio so much, but certainly made us really think about the music with broader appeal. And that's something that we never, we could never have known how reliant we would have been on radio coming into you know last year. But really, um, it's, it's 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 been it's been as I say, it's been like a lifeline to kind of get to be able to stay. Um, to be able to still feel you've kind of been able to get music continually out there when we when we haven't been in charge to do it ourselves it's even been pushing us to get the idea that we'd normally make over eight minutes and chuck it into three minutes but still feel coherent it's like that's yeah. really challenging like that, that was, that's been a hard thing to sort of learn you know to kind of condense well i think it makes you think about your ideas more clearly you know like all our track our tracks began i think our one of our first ever releases was called 313 and I think it clocks in at 11 minutes 36 or something like that okay <laughs> so. nothing, nothing changes in the first I, had, I put it on the other day and like the first three minutes nothing happens I'm like shit we got away with that one it's like being too there's been deep and there's just being too deep yeah <laughs> do you think the radio thing and streams are, are changing the sense of um, your relationship to the people that listen to your music and sense of community within dance music generally I mean um, sorry I'm just scrolling on the, on, the, on the questions Michelle here says my six year old son Jimmy loves you guys because of uh, Radio 6 music has, has yeah. kind of uh, got him obsessed and I, I've just you know I've heard so many people talking like that about their families listening to music together and um, you know my wife does the Big Fish Little Fish family raves and they do a yeah. kitchen rave on a Sunday um, and, and you find finding these new kind of community things forming around live streams yeah. and radio and stuff that weren't there before 
um yeah it's just, it's just like opened her eyes even more to that sort of thing it's like you do realize there's a big family and six music that might not experience us normally in a club yeah and even when we do mixes and put them up there you get lots of tweets from people that we've never seen we, we've obviously got like a fan base that contact us all the time on twitter but these are new people and it's the same even when we do live show or the, we did the first live stream people sharing videos and it's something i never expected to be yeah. honest and it's just it's kind of grown so um, naturally, I think. I mean, it's definitely. I think it's there's, there's, there's definitely something rewarding about. We, like we would get messages sometimes from people, you know, 50s, 60s. I think we've had a few people yeah. in their 70s send us messages, and it's just like you, you I mean. Uh, you know, my dad's got friends who've messaged him, and it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> my, my da- I like give my dad's friend some of our tracks, and he was playing about the wedding, and all the kids were coming up to him like, "How oh, do you know these tunes?" And I'd given him like uh, white labels and stuff, and he was playing them at the wedding, and they're just like blowing their minds. It's like my, obviously like our parents are really proud and stuff, and they're always talking about it to all their friends but then you start seeing their kids getting into it as well coming to the yeah. gigs and it's it goes like full circle Um, your early influences as kids. I mean, um, there's a couple of people in the questions. So, um, some Tim's asked uh, who your early electronic music influences, and uh, Mark, as a fellow Northern Irishman, is asking, you know, about your early club influences. I know that from early on, you weren't just listening to the sort of club music of the time. You were, you were, you and your friends were always swapping like older tunes yeah. as well. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of represents like the blog. Like, we'd yeah. cut, it would be anything goes. It'd be a good hip hop tune, it'd be a good rock tune. Like, our, a lot of our friends are into like heavy metal and stuff. It could be a metal tune or it could be like intense techno. It was never really a genre specific yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's more it was, feeling, if yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, and, and in the same way, like, a Italian disco, 80s music, like, they could, everyone loves, you know, like, it's really funny. I like vivid memories of being 17 and like three or four of my friends going nuts about like the reverb on an 80s snare, you know, it's like things like that where like, like people would pick up on that and like they're into Nine Inch Nails. I was into like a lot of metal and kind of, I was used to BMX a lot. So like, I was into metal and, and, uh, Elect- only going to do electronic music quite late on, when I say later on, like 16 or 17, really. Um, before that, I didn't really listen to any at all. So, um, we quite, and my, my household is very musical. It's like always had, you know, everything from like Enya and Mary Black playing all day to, you know, kind of the Clannard and... Yeah, we see the same. Like my parents were just uh, into like Rory Gallagher and like classic Irish rock. And it's, and you, you know... Like a lot thin, of Irish thin, music. Thin Lizzy and stuff. I think there's like a, a sense in Ireland there's so, so much support to their own acts that you hear all the time on the radio yeah. and the radio's full up with them. So yeah, a lot of that sort of stuff. But then it was the classics as well. It was like... Tool, Nirvana, and things like that. You know, like you'd listen to a bit of everything. I think we were just a bit, like I'd listen to everything and just good music would come through, really. Yeah. I, I remember you telling me some time ago about 
I can't remember if it was one of your garages or one of your friend's garages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's called the garage. <laughs> like, like, tell us a bit about that because that sounds like a kind of crucial crucible for, for so, um, doing. We, uh, we would go out to Shine, which was a big techno club in Belfast when we were about 16, 17. Um, and uh, it, we, we all started kind of going 16, 17 for a couple of years before we went to university. And uh, before, we, before we would go out to Shine, we would do a three hours meetup um, at this garage. And this is again, no, no Spotify, no streaming. YouTube had no music on it. YouTube, I mean, YouTube was nothing at that yeah. stage. It's certainly, you might have had funny camera phone cat videos. Dave, Dave Chappelle, that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like cat videos of Dave Chappelle. <laughs> so um, music was still very much like, there was, the blog culture was sort of bubbling away and it was kind of still a lot of radio or, and... Um, Internet wasn't fast printing, enough to make it. Yeah, like, we would just, um, you know, everyone would arrive with um, their own CDs. And we would just, we, you know, people would be arguing and arguing to get their selection of, you know, whatever tracks they'd, um, you know, burnt their CD that week. And it was definitely very, we we're very lucky to have a very, a group of mates with very eclectic tastes. And it would always be this sort of competitive culture of like selections and finding out who'd find this and oh, I got this. And that was just about the period when we started to get into electronic music. We kind of, Aphex Twin, Lauren Garnier, stuff like that, Dave Clark. And, uh, that was when we were kind of also we would get into a bit of disco and italo and stuff and also then at shine was a lot of hard techno but we were kind of the whole idea of the garage before was more like not club music it was more sort of oddball left field stuff um and that was really the inspiration for our blog we both left belfast at 18 to go to university and it was at that stage that we kind of wanted to continue that feeling of sort of sharing between each other and that the blog really came out of wanting to maintain that idea of having some sort of collection or an idea of putting, you know, creating your own playlists and, and creating, having somewhere to put music you find and kind of chronicle it. Yeah, I think that sharing is a massive, important part of what we do. It's, well, I like the feeling of letting people hear it and then, you know, and, um, like kind of encouraging them to seek out new, that music for themselves or get delve in deep, deeper to it. And it's even, it's honestly, it hasn't even changed. It's like my friends who, our friends who go to the garage or who went to the garage, we're still in contact with them pretty much daily. Yeah. And if I find an album, I'll send it to them. And if they don't reply back to me, I'll get I'll be a wee bit like, <laughs> yeah. I'll be like you know, like <laughs> it, it stings a bit still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I still want that approval. Yeah, yeah. It's like and that that matters more, but it still happens. It's like we still have arguments about stuff and we um the same crew uh on New Year's Eve this year. Obviously none of us can meet up. We're all in separate houses. We all bought tickets to the Optimo New Year's Eve stream. And everybody was in a WhatsApp group critiquing the tunes for every mix the whole way through, all getting hammered, just going, oh my God, look at this, and like, whoa. So it's like, we had, we definitely were very blessed to have like a really good group of mates who are very nerdy, deep, deeply into their music, you know?
you know, Optimo straight away, you know, brings brings us to your college days and, and yeah. another city with a particularly tight and nerdy, but not in a nerdy way, music community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's hedonism and nerdiness kind of yeah. mesh. gigs. Those, yeah. <laughs> those sort of places. Um, I mean, is there, I often think there's something about, um, you know, cities smaller than London, at least, um, whether it's Manchester, Glasgow, Belfast, Bristol, whatever, that kind of encourage that because people yeah. are a little bit more in each other's pockets and you actually run into people in the street or in the record shop or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, what was, what was Glasgow like? Well, I, I went to university in Manchester and Matt went to Newcastle. But we were up at Optimo a lot. Yeah, I would say the common ground was, as much as Manchester had, it didn't have Optimo on Sundays. And it was like, it was definitely a common ground with all our friends from all over university. It gave us an excuse, especially the Optimo, the special Optimo parties. A lot of our friends went to Glasgow Uni as well. We yeah. had a big base there. Um, like Hammer went there. Like, the, the main three cities was Manchester, Newcastle and... Uh, Glasgow and Newcastle was pretty redundant at the time, music-wise. It was just—I mean, it was—it was, it was more—it was a lot more studenty and less sort of music nerdy. So, really, a lot of our weekends were spent either in Manchester, down at the original Sankeys, or up in um, uh, Optimo in Glasgow. And even within Manchester, as big as it was at the time. There wasn't a warehouse project. Sankey's was... It was like uh, a more minimal techno, yeah, whereas like Glasgow was definitely that sort of... I mean, Optimo was school, where you were schooled when you went to Optimo, you know, hearing all these styles, styles blended together and hearing, you know, kind of Dolly Parton mixed to hard techno, like actually they would mix in, you know, was just like, wow, this is like yeah. really opened your eyes to the possibilities. Um, I'm, so I'm, just, I'm, I'm just scrolling through the questions here. Um... I played some of your stuff, your guys' stuff to my uncle at Christmas. He's from the Chemical Brothers. <laughs> Amazing. And <laughs> liking some of your pi- pi- this is Sorry, this is related to um, something I was going to get onto with this. And likens your pioneering style to theirs in the 90s. Um, because, you know, as you were kind of starting the blog and sharing stuff, um, you would share disco, but also things like prog house, which were yeah. like not not considered cool at the time. Um, yeah. You know, you were pick, picking and choosing from all over the place. Um, but you know, classic '90s euphoria uh, always seems to have been had a place in your sound, and on this album more than ever. You know, it's like it's for me, it's like future sound of London is is kind of swooping through it, and there's a bit yeah. of orbital, and there's a bit of you know. Uh, quite a few of the, the, the acts that I grew up on. Um, you know, is is there a specific part of your brains or your creative process that that thinks in a 90s way? Yeah, I think it was such it was such a fruitful time. And even some of my first memories were um, recording the Prodigy off the radio on the, on the cassette tape. And even those certain sounds, rave sounds, stabs, like Jungle Breaks, the, like the quintessential dark, like growing up and even when we discovered techno, it was very much that old school, like sample but like the, the the synthesizers and the drum machines never really changed. Yeah. So like the, there's 808, 909 and you know, like Juno songs have always been like core to what we liked and what we grew up with. And it's, it's kind of, we've progressed definitely in the studio and experimented with other stuff, but like there is definitely that backbone of stuff that got us in it in the first place, which we still love. I think um like, I mean, we. We've been trying to work it. We're, we're trying trying to work out like 
because they're obviously we know like having to like evaluate or look at the music we write we sort of sometimes because it's instrumental and there's two of us in the studio we don't sit down and say like we never sit down and say let's make something in a particular style we jam for hours and usually it just develops quietly over eight or nine hours and over weeks and months and there's not really a huge amount of sort of um we don't no, don't like use like reference tracks or we yeah we, we actually kind of think of like remember that track we don't even know the name of it but like the idea for a, tr- a track or a vibe is more important in terms of like the, the motion of it rather yeah. than the but i think it's it's, it's hard to know if like the, like the licensing laws I mean, this is feels like a bit of a tangent but it, it, i think it's more of the irish side of side of us that like euphoria side than that then and what we've kind of worked out is that in northern ireland the licensing laws um everywhere shuts at 3 a.m so you've basically got between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. to get a full club night in. So we had always this thing that um, anytime as we got older, people came back to DJ, our friends would DJ, we'd, we'd host nights there, and they'd be like, oh, I'm on from like 11 to 12, like what should I play? And I'm like, mate, there's no such thing as a warm up in Northern Ireland. You go in and that's it. Like second tune, you get one track at the start of your set to warm up, then you're in. And I think maybe it's that sense of urgency and immediacy and, and also like, that like energy that like you have this small space of time to kind of go in that sort of just stuck with us you know our earliest clubbing memories were very full on and I, it's hard to say it. it's like I, I mean, definitely say when we're making music and when we perform it live it's definitely about harnessing energy and not wasting you build up stuff and harness it in the right way and it's definitely just what we've learned over time especially yeah. making music and when you're creating stories but also thinking about structure in terms of tracks it's not just about like one drop it's about like is this drop going to be bigger or how can i make the second drop bigger but within without making it sound like a drop it's all these little things of just like harnessing balls of energy and moving it around and i think a lot of early dance tracks had lots of um like optimism and like yeah just like lots of energy you could feel it in like people's productions it yeah, was yeah, yeah. it was like fresh it was new anything goes it was like the weirdest noises yeah let's chuck that in there yeah. and sometimes you just need to get back to that and i would definitely try and keep that naive approach to when we start making demos because it, it needs to be fun essentially yeah and, and you make a lot i mean you, you're saying you're going to jam things out i mean richard on the chat was asking how many tracks do you um do you make and then filter out for a, for an album like this? And I think I it's a lot. Yeah, it was about 150 for this one. But that was the final folder. But then yeah, it, there'd be six six or seven versions per, of some tracks, and some are a 15 second demo, like a 15 second clip. Others are just a drum beat with a cool reverb. It's like 150 demos is sort of the biggest thing. But but also I, I'd say we did we didn't record in full like lots of tracks yeah of, yeah like, it could it's like sometimes we'll jam for ages just to work out a drum machine but then at the same time as we won't record it so yeah the, like sometimes we know a demo's not worth even recording but yeah 150 was like the base level for this yeah. one going into this one um how how did you start i mean what what came first the djing or the production djing production came production came as a necessary element of djing like we didn't study music at school and it's really happened very gradually. Like we began with the blog. It became one of those things. We had a lot of Talo disco that we were um, listening to. And like anybody who collects a Talo knows that like often you buy a record and there's 20 seconds of amazingness followed by two minutes of the worst folk you've ever heard. And then there's a 
best drums you've ever heard, followed by another two minutes of the worst. And it was just through that, and obviously that period of about 2005, 2006, where the whole disco edit culture was kind of quite big in the blog house stuff. So we just started doing simple disco edits, and we kind of got an ear for a lot of the stuff we were um, cutting up and editing was these amazing old 80s synths and this quite cheap lo-fi production. And then we got into using Ableton a bit. And then when you start using Ableton, especially back then, the soft synths and the, their drum machines, so they're, they're awful yeah. as shit. And, you know, the reverbs are t- tinny and, and you're like, whoa, these old these old soundtracks sound way better. It's so, and at that stage, we didn't really know why the stuff we were cutting up sounded so much better. So that slowly got to the stage where we were making like house music and trying to use quite a lot of samples, but still make the arrangements a bit more unique. But then eventually you kind of just get wrapped in more and more. You're like, I want to have that synth. I want a 909. And then when you get one, it just becomes a wormhole where it becomes addictive. Then you start learning piano. And then, you know, it just, it was a very, it's very gradual. Like we didn't really, I don't think we were ever really particularly, 2015 felt like the first time that we were starting to kind of get on top of it. And we'd been releasing for like, Four, four years by that stage. Yeah, I think with production as well, it's like we kind of dedicate pretty much all our life to like coming in the studio and working that way, or like working life. So it's for me and Matt not to kind of know any kind of piano or dedicated to like actually producing. It's like we need to be sat in the studio and work together. And when one, you know, like we both can understand piano. So whilst when we produce now, it's quite easy to kind of write in the sense of if you were just writing normally, it was it's like it's very easy to kind of pick a key and just jam for hours rather than just doing random stuff, which we were doing probably previously, or yeah. sitting moving the blocks around the screen hoping for like some gold. And it when you're not when you don't know what you're doing, it becomes frustrating yeah. and it's like it's not it's it's not as fun. Whereas when you understand it a bit, you can deconstruct it then. It's yeah. like being able to paint and then just be able to kind of be abstract afterwards. and on the you know when when you, when you started the label I mean, it really felt like you were um you know not in a pejorative way but you were another underground act with a very much a dance label and yeah. you were putting out fairly tooly sort of tracks you know they were deep house funky whatever you know it was it was clear that they were tracks for DJs i don't think there was any sense um from that early stuff that you know <laughs> This anthemic huge shows bicep was was uh, far down the road. Yeah. And was there any sense that for you that there was that it was? Well, I think at the time it was definitely like a born out of the blog and the kind of do everything for yourself culture. Like we kind of both both me and Matt had like full time jobs in design. And when you're working for someone else and your ideas are going into some other input and maybe not formulate in the same way, like they get they get distorted and changed a lot. The like blog became a place where we can just do whatever we wanted, and from that, 
we were like, we can actually produce our own records here. We can do the artwork, we can do this. But we were learning in public. Like I think most people would have held off 2015 before they released. I think we got stuff out quite, quite, not prematurely. I think it was a good thing because it really let us, it gave us a, a want to do better, do you know what I mean? And I think also we couldn't like, the, the really, when we were doing a lot of that like 90s house stuff, we just didn't have any money to afford any synths. And we just, that was the closest we could get to a sound that we liked, which was probably more analog leaning, like a bit more lo-fi. Anything we made on a computer, we just didn't really like how it sounded. And then eventually when we were able to start getting synths, it gave us a lot more freedom. Like I remember when we first got a Juno, we were like, oh my God, we can now play chords. We can do ARPs, we can do... And then we got an SH-101 and it was like, we can do bass. Like I remember we were like, we need something for bass. And when we got something, it was like, that was the beginning of like, okay, we actually have freedom now, you know? And also even turning on the 909 for the first time and you realize the hats don't even line up. And that's what gives it this kind of class, like Django, like Rattle. And you know, when you're sitting on a computer moving blocks around trying to recreate that Rattle from listening to old records, it's just not the same. And it also takes hours and hours, whereas you just turn that on, boom. Um, During this kind of period of of growing and, and, you know, finding your feet and finding your sound, I mean, you you say that people go full on in in Belfast and you can say the same of of Glasgow as well because similar licensing laws and similar intensity. Um, But actually that can mean quite, quite deep house music. It can, you know, quite deep and funky. It doesn't mean like bang, bang, noisy, noisy. Deep house was 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 music for like a bar in Belfast. You couldn't it, like like it was hard, hard, hard techno. Like one okay. Dave Clark, uh, like going to see Christian Smith was seen like soft a soft night, and anything like um, any sort of electro nights were seen as like a, like a, a night that was soft. Like it was very, okay. Okay. And, and Deep House was bar. Like there was the we in in Shine. There was like four rooms, but um, the anything that was housey was seen as the bar. Like only house acts, like um, Fish Go Deep and all the kind of, you know, um, Terence Parker and stuff were always in the bar, and it was just ripping hard techno in the main room. Right. Okay. I think it's definitely our experience of growing up. Yeah, there, and also the time. Things and have the, changed the, since, you know. The, the different clubs, like the, there obviously is deep scenes, and like a lot of the the guys who are playing this house music, like the likes of Timmy Stewart and um, John MacGyver, these guys that we grew up with as well. These guys were digging super deep, had all knew every old Detroit record and. You know, there is deep scenes within that, but what I would say is the predominant um, mood and everyone was in these main rooms and chanting or like dancing along to like Green Velvet La La Land is a very different thing, which I wouldn't particularly call deep. <laughs> yeah. For us, for us, the, the, the flip side was really moving to London then. Like we got the, the, the complete education like from another, a totally different spectrum. Which is when we came to London, yeah. and obviously, like jungle, they, uh, going to see Theo Parish and stuff, getting yeah. all the deep house nights there was 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 really a, a completely different experience. Going to a club for twelve hours, going to see Villa Lewis or Fabric, there was much longer afternoons where things were built up slowly. Yeah, you can play twelve minutes of the, the same track, yeah. and only a hat needs to come in and out, and it's yeah, like yeah. it's it's not the same. Uh, I mean, is there a reason that you didn't go banging early? I think like, like that's the whole. I think that's when we got into Italo Disco. I think you yeah. just you keep you flip flop at that age. You kind of we we were like blessed with all these techno acts, and we'd do that every weekend, and, and we were pretty much obsessed with it for like three years. 
and then the techno scene started actually fo- it didn't it wasn't as it went minimal by the time yeah, we got started reducing it was the end of the whole minimal techno thing and that was just we, we made it like electro class then yeah electro class and minimal yeah and it kind of it wasn't really the like, energy was gone for us yeah it felt slow and it felt like you know it didn't it, like the sounds weren't there so it even say the old techno was like that sample stuff it was a bit softer a bit more like real drums um, sample and also and then that's when we fell in love with the Italo disco which is the kind of the real polar opposite to our techno yeah <laughs> it's strange we, we i remember talking about it at the time and then it's like these are why do you like both these things and i and i we kind of see them very similar yeah so so that kind of set your tempo um and and when when did you start um playing you know actually touring like going further and further afield and even playing abroad I got, I got um Rory Hamlet sent me a message there yesterday um I think it was like uh 12 years to the day that we went to China for the first time and it was like us bloggers going out to China to DJ and I think that was our first kind of we can actually tour as a, on a blog but um yeah I think it took a real long time we had a couple of residencies in Barcelona and I think we had gigs in Barcelona and New York and lots of places for him, but never got a gig in London for like three or four years. <laughs> DJ and a top shop was about it. <laughs> okay. Um so 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 I mean your your skills were honed in front of a lot of very different audiences then. Yeah. We were like regularly playing a lot of diff- very different sets, which was really fun because we had to kind of get used to playing you know, complete like completely different sets, and yeah. I mean, it was to be honest, we were playing so eclectic then. It was kind of almost cre- trying to recreate Optima with yeah, even wa- more extreme tastes. Yeah, I was, I was about to say like <laughs> Optima was such a good inspiration because we saw do like we're like f- anything can go flawlessly <laughs> done there, and I think that was definitely an early inspiration. It was someone was asking about about whether you feel pressured to do a particular sort of thing now. I mean, having having started with that very very eclectic background and taste in music um was there a point where you kind of a felt you were naturally slipping into your own sound and b found that that was expected of you i think there was a realization that like we can't keep trying to like recreate songs and we realized that even if we can't do it perfectly or recreate it perfectly then we realized that that's what makes our own sound and once you kind of settle into that you realize that you can just keep doing anything and and you don't have to start has it doesn't have to be exactly like what you envisage to be like yeah it's always when you strive for perfection it's like you're always comparing that to someone else's perfection and it's someone else's probably spent years crafting that and also done stuff in a very different way than you can't you can't exactly recreate so um we're just not having that pressure and just that's when we kind of know knew just whatever we can do goes really yeah i mean like we we we, de- we have tracks that we were not we're not happy with we all we have favorites we have ones that we're not like there's, there's got tracks that sound like old tracks you know yeah. like we've got stuff that it, it, it's too close to like it's like trance are too close to like yeah. breaks tracks or too close to like fortet tracks you know what i mean everyone has it it's like you make tracks you try use different synths and they might sound very similar to other people but we always kind of strive to kind of push it to the next stage can we develop this in our own way yeah and it's, it's yeah it's just one of those things it's like i think it's just natural with production and experimenting as well 
So it's maybe maybe less a, a matter of knowing your own sound than than knowing your lane a bit. Like yeah, I think it's like it's easy to kind of say your own song when we select from 150 because that's the we kind of see that as like songs that kind of align and work. I mean, yeah. it's like the, even with with this album, it's definitely like a progression from the first album in a sense that we knew that we had to keep it in the same vein or come from a similar place but at the same time as we wanted to do the song new so yeah. it's definitely going to be some sort of link and we, we make a lot of music that doesn't sound like us if, if you know what i mean like we have days where we'll just make hard techno in the studio and we do days with ambient and we just 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 experiment and also to cleanse a bit like we definitely have days of just sort of not and but and and, and even sometimes we think they're good demos and then, and then we let a few people hear them. We're like, yeah, no, nah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's just it's definitely a thing of just sort of over time, you kind of maybe whittle it down a bit. But I mean, I feel it's. it's I, I it's, think it's like definitely a thing with, for us as well. We kind of try and keep the ideas fresh, never try and dwell on tracks, try and never force them to make them work. And I think that's that's where you run into problems. I think. Same same question basically, but for DJing. I mean, did you was was there a point where you were like, okay, we we've been booked to be bicep rather than to play whatever we like? Was there a point where you kind of felt expectations on you as DJs? I think post um, print work show on online. I think we definitely had a bit of people who turned turned up to see our shows expected what we played at print works. Yeah, rather, and. and the, the difference between a live show and a DJ show became um, blurred almost. I, I think uh, we also love, like, like we come from a background of a lot of hard techno and we love that. And we'd, we'd been touring live for like two years and we did some DJ shows and we were on at like four in the morning. And it just seemed really logical at four in the morning. We'd like to hear like really slamming, banging techno. And then we'd play it. And then we'd be all like leaving the club on the way home and they'd just be like hate on Twitter, like didn't even they're shy, nothing like Printworks is way better. And we're like, oh. so there's definitely a, a kind of there's yeah, an expectation of kind of maybe our sign. And I think I it's mean also, it's also the glue paradox. We can't like yeah. if we don't play glue, we'll get hit for a it takes us a, it takes a little bit of time. I mean we definitely, I mean, for sure, we're going to do other projects in our lives. Bicep won't be the only project we ever do. And I think we always kind of, it's good to know at the back of your mind if that you can always have other outlets, you know? Like that's, we, we and we do make other types of music sometimes, just we don't release it, but it kind of gives us a chance to, and we collect a lot of music that we wouldn't DJ. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Gordon in the chat is asking, do you release music under aliases? Are there any secret? Uh, we did. Know? We released BDB on our label, um, and I don't appear. I don't think anyone got it, and it was Benj it was Benjamin Damage, and 
two people on the label, which is Benjamin Damage Bicep, BDB. We played it in our print work show, but yet I don't think anybody got it. <laughs> but yeah, those two hard techno tracks last year were Benjamin Damage Ross. <laughs> on that, uh, people expecting you to play that one track thing I interviewed uh, over mono recently and uh, Tesla, you know, incredible producers and, and um, you know, when he when he made Hackney Parrot and it was played in every single scene and every single type of DJ yeah. was playing it, he said he had to learn to play it last because people were turning up literally yeah. to play that track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't play it and they bugger off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it was funny. They're good lads. They've been down to the studio once a while ago and they're, they're great. Like, we absolutely love their work. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like, we, that's why we kind of play glue last as well. It's like chucking it in the middle of the set. I don't know if we get away. People are asking. Um, there's there's a glue edit that you play you've played in the live stream. Will that yeah. ever see the light of day? Is that going to get released? Oh uh, yeah, maybe. But the thing is, for, for us, we like the whole point of the live versions. A is to give people something different when they come to see us live. And secondly, if we're going to be playing something out for a couple of years, we want to feel like it's fresh in our heads and something we can develop. So we, uh, once we've toured it for quite a while, once, once we get yeah. bored of it, we'll yeah. Probably... <laughs> but like, it's really um. For us, it's like important it's, it's, to kind of have stuff that's a bit, you know, fresh. I feel like once once the version's released, it's kind of like glue. Glue's also a hard one because it's quite hard to deviate too hard from the original and keep everyone happy. So we're in the process of even developing that live yeah. version to kind of be super happy with it and also make it feel fresh rather yeah. than just you know like it's it's definitely we're slowly piecing together even yeah. after, even after playing it for a couple of years, we still need to kind of refine it in a sort in a way what is your live setup like i mean uh, you know quite quite a few people have been asking and and you know obviously you're surrounded by old synths where you're sitting now you can't take all those on stage uh sh 101h like a, mono, a big mono synth each which is great we, try, it, we basically try and recreate this studio in the way it runs in this most simple form yeah mixing desk loads of guitar pedals 
yeah, drum machine each, like compressors, EQs, everything kind of recorded in wet. Yeah. And but also, we, we kind of wanted to have the bit like the main the main thing of the shows is being able to really rag the machines. We know them inside out, and we want to push them to the limits. Yeah. Without feeling like you just need to keep this for this song tight. We want to be able to make it sound good everywhere. So the compressors in hard, desks is a little bit hot. You know, like we try and keep everything running as yeah. if like a band would, and gel it together through the mix yeah. of the desk. And it, it makes it way more fun. It means that we can we do like live drumming over the top, but it doesn't feel like it's mixed badly. And it, to be honest, it's taken so long to kind of even yeah. get to that point where we're happy. Like we have live side chains coming into the, for, from the SH 101 stuff for certain tracks. And it's, that was the scariest thing was because our, our first when we first started touring live, it was just a load of parts coming out of Ableton, and then some dubbing some drums over the top, and it was very basic. And then we. The big change was when we kind of had the guts to do live bass and live top lines. So it was like the bass was completely, you had to get your EQ right, your compression, your side chain, that all had to come, you know, from um, loaded guitar pedals. And once we kind of got that, that we just been able to build on top and top. And so we've also made the, like the coffins they are, like a big, they're essentially big, like guitar pedal cases. They're yeah. just, they're fixed. And we've said, we're going to restrict ourselves to what's within them. Yeah. And even like on my side, I've got a couple, I've got even type pedals and we've got it to the point now where Matt can press um, spacebar and load a full tune and every single thing from the presets to the BPM of the guitar pedals changes for every song. So it's like, you know, like everything is on a space bar. There's about 10 different movements, the visual sync. There's like the, you know, like information's going to like 10 different bits at once. So it's it's got, it's refined and complex, but like not too much that you can't just uh, like play it live and feel like you, if you touch one thing, it's going to break. I, um, I, I was going to say, you know, that's, that, that must be some some kind of some bespoke setup because yeah it's, so it's, many people from previous generations have gone the opposite direction from you because analog gear and pedals and stuff is so unstable it just doesn't sound as i mean it, there's I nothing think, better think, than it's it's it could like the, the weak link of the setup is the computer <laughs> yeah the computer's the only bad part but we do it took us because we still play like for example the pads on glue are like four like it's like four synths that make that those pads together there's no way we're gonna have that live so obviously we have some recordings like the glue pads you know opal's main melody that was done in a very specific synth so it's like you, you, there's certain things that you don't recreate live what we do is like things like the monos the top lines like the melodies and the bass is, is live and then we have but even, characteristic parts that, that aren't that are like recordings that we feed in but the, the, the only part that's ever in any trouble is is anything to do with the computers like i mean if it's just like we've had every issue possible yeah, with the yeah, computers yeah. and even Mac like you speak to the G obviously the geniuses but um, the, like we've got friends who work in, in San Francisco for Mac and they don't know what the issues are so. I think it's like old it's two, 2012 2015 was when Macs were good they've got bad sense yeah this it's like when they, when they break on stage, it's like there's no there's no feeling like it. We had a, we had a year, a first year turn live. I mean, it was every week something went wrong, but we had a real big issue with um, um we had a Mac stage and it was just the information it was sending was just it was just cutting out. And we remember glue the pads just disappeared. Everything else in the track stayed, and we had all the drum machines going and the pads just disappeared. And we just had to fizzle the track out and start a new one. And it was just like, oh my god! And also, it was like on the screen, it was saying it was playing. So there's green green lights everywhere, but there's yeah. no sound. And it's just these kind of issues are more frustrating, and they're not tangible at all. Yeah. 
that's a that's a trial by fire. I mean, you know that that is definitely character forming, right? Oh here, yeah, like yeah, there was a stage where I was like, there isn't actually anything else that can go wrong. Like, but, we had a lot of we had a lot of a lot of hiccups the first year. But like we, uh, I see even the question switch the circle on. It's like we've looked at all these different analog options. But yet, at the same time as you can't do stuff like you can't change time signatures, you can't change that, you can't send MIDI information to like for pedals and yeah. changing presets and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like Ableton's great for that, especially again like sending sending information to Eventide pedals and, and little bits like that. Also, you know, it, it, like an example is the BDB stuff that techno um, track of Benjamin Damage. We only recorded parts in the studio um, and. We never made, we never got around to making the track as a track. It was just a jam recording to a load of loops. And we just bounced the loops and then on stage with the USB, plugged it in, knocked some of the loops into the laptop and then drummed in some MIDI and performed it for two months before we had ever laid it out. So we actually made the track like, like actually live. And that's something that we just did, not thinking about it on stage, like before a show in Dublin. We we're like, right, let's bang all this info in. Let's let's try this track at the end of the set. And I was like, oh shit, this, 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 just let's watch, finish this. Watching videos of it performed and trying yeah. to recreate it in the studio, the but, layout. You <laughs> I mean that would be a real process of a few days to do with a circle on or something where it's Ableton, you know, that was done in soundcheck, you know, bang it in. And I think it's also it's, very visual as well. Ableton's a lot of freedom to move very quickly, so it gives you a lot of creativity. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a sense there was, um, you know, a, a lot of old heads, I think, um, had the idea that where, when Ableton Live came in, it, it, it squared things off and it made things a bit predictable and it wasn't the same as analog. But, um, you know, That's clearly, you keep it lively. We, 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 we only send, like we'd only, we, we originally were sending CV and gate to the mono since we've now got the MIDI converted, but we just send out clips of MIDI to all the machines. So we, we make them, you know, we perform them live, but we have, you know, the notes pre-recorded. And that just gives you, it's just a really easy way of kind of using the best of both worlds. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's like the, we took an 808 on, on tour with us for two years. And by the end, it was like yeah. a granny. It didn't want to get it. It didn't want to turn up when it was four o'clock in the morning, sweaty in a club. It wouldn't turn on. Yeah. And then you take it back to the hotel room when it's ready to go to bed. It was fine. I think Parano I think it's Paranoid London. I think, so don't quote me on this. <laughs> I think it was a Paranoid London, guys. Um, something happened when we were playing together in Stockholm, or or I think it was Stockholm, and uh, all the presets on their was, three. Yeah, was, was, was it Paranoid? Yeah, or their three hundred three. So you, with a three hundred three or an eight hundred eight, you store the presets inside, and the, it re requires an internal battery on top of being powered. The internal battery stores the presets. Battery went, lost everything before the show, and that's it. You're, you're finished. Having to sit in a hotel with a manual of notes written out, trying to plug them in, like that's why something you know, like you know, we just have our, our all our MIDI stored on a Dropbox folder, and if our computer dies, we just get a new computer quickly. And you know, it, I think it's important to kind of use the best of the modern world with the old world. You know, I remember reading actually in Peter Hook's book that he talks about having to program the DMX drum machine for New Order shows, and because nobody else in the band knew how to do it, and the engineer wasn't there, and it took him like three days. And then some days that will wipe, and you'd be like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's those those things that people look back nostalgically at, like how easy it was then, but it was not easy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can remember going to you know early '90s shows and um, 
you know, I was talking to Mix Master Morris about this recently because um, he's been digging out some of his old live stuff. And the, the seeing people clearly off their tits, pulling their hair out as they swap discs in and out of that <laughs> and like try and like put a hairdryer to the analog synth to get it to yeah. stop it going out of tune and stuff you know it's it, it's oh. um, it's a miracle any live shows ever happened yeah tunes actually we, we had um we moved it to sh101s but we used to have an sh09 was it u9 yeah yeah, yeah. sh09 which is like this it's the 70 isn't it yeah it's, it's a dis discrete circuitry so it doesn't have any chips really in it it has a couple but it's like it's very much like as analog as you very can. early like synth and andy used to use that for um the top lines for like justin stuff and it Honestly, depending on the temperature of the country you're playing, you had like the tuning would just go whoa. like seeing hot climates, it would jump up three semitones, and we'd have to send out a C to get an A. Like it was ridiculous how, how temperamental it was, but um, that's also a plus for Ableton. You can do that in sound check. Yeah, you just, like, just <laughs> pitching all the MIDI in one go for the whole show. Yeah. filling up our time fast um before we get fully into sound on sound territory um <laughs> <laughs> sorry can I, ask you, can I ask you about how how the how you have kind of witnessed the music scene globally because you know you said you were playing internationally from before you were playing in the uk almost and so you've seen things develop and you've seen attitudes to techno and the the rise of uh, the the B word, um, the the business techno, yeah, um, and and things are so different now. Things, are, yeah, you know, EDM has kind of like almost we hope peaked, and then you know we yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things. I think I think everything, and I mean, it's things have probably always been polarized and split but like for sure like i mean it seems that everything nowadays everything's kind of split in two and definitely i mean even through how people how people within the industry have reacted to the pandemic you know the play graves some people are in it for the ego and the money and other people are in it for the art the people have been able to kind of pull themselves away and just go and and, and burrow away and work on it have done so and there's others who have felt the need to stay in the limelight at whatever cost and I think it's definitely, without a doubt, there's now, it's, it, it feels very split. It's hard to really, we, I mean, we can really only comment on, on the time we've really spent in the industry. We couldn't really comment before. You know, when we were younger, even our first started touring, it was very, we were playing very small shows. It's very hard to have a grasp of, you know, the bigger picture. Um, yeah. But I mean, for sure, it, it feels like the industry's kind of split in half. 
I think like the common thing is is like there's always con- like clubs and countries that you wouldn't expect and people are in it for the love and these are the ones I'm fearing for the most the little small yeah. ones that really like would take us across to like Zurich or Paris for and we'd you know like basically sleep on someone's floor and then come back it's like these kind of gigs are what were quintessential to us growing as artists and also as DJs it was like yeah. these were the most fun times um, when the money wasn't really in it and I fear now with all the kind of restrictions and stuff I'm going to lose that whole bottom line basically my, my greatest fear is with the with the visa restrictions now imposed in the UK and the EU that um, yes people who chase the money or who have the money will, will be able to survive but it's those who don't um, or making people have to think about money first and not think about the art is going to dramatically I, I think could dramatically change things especially in the UK obviously because that's where um, the restrictions been, are and I think it's it's, it's it's very worrying as to how things could change like, in the future well, it's because we have to like consider these things even when we tour America and we've had to do it for years like paying for a visa and the cost of that alone for America was always a massive issue in terms of how many gigs you need to do to kind of break even to even you know like survive over there for the yeah. weeks like there was one time we had to do 28 gigs in 21 days I think in uh, in like a, a like during South by Southwest and that kind of era in like a I remember a March time tour and it was we came back and had made like 300 pounds or something and it's just like sometimes it's like these kind of things if people want to use it as a or have it as a career it's like i don't think you could do these sort of things as on a whim like that again no totally i mean i i guess um the you know the flip side is and what we have to really really hope for is that um the passion that has been yeah. kind of condensed yeah. and 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 held back and and put into things like communities around live streams and fan communities and all of that and people who are like absolutely gagging to get back out there will be released and be channeled towards um you know rebuilding that infrastructure on a on a grassroots level and that's that's that that's that's the kind of scorched earth thing of like we were in a very tough period now double whammy of, of the pandemic and brexit certainly in the uk and uh yeah, you just hope that yeah, there's that like condensed, like things are condensed, and yeah. hopefully there's a renewed, renewed underground. Well, without wanting to be cheesy, um, you guys have made the perfect album to soundtrack getting back out there. <laughs> <laughs> it is honestly, I mean, it works for home listening, and I've I've laid I've laid in the dark listening to it, and it's taken me back to chill out rooms of the past, and you know, oh, dreaming of flying through the sky and whatever, but. You know, I cannot imagine the scenes that these tracks are going to provoke. It's big. It's a, it's it's yeah. a very good, and awesome. it's full of that like very genuine. You know, not not cynical in the way of of commercial trance records, but that very genuine kind of high flying euphoria. So so I think it should uh, should it should drive some people to get those parties going again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much.